This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 6, Episode 2, Internal Motivations. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. And I'm Howard. And we are one, recording once again, in case you missed episode last week with Mary Robinette Cole, who is now full-time member of the podcasting team. Woohoo! Yay! Yay! Yay. Wow, we're so enthusiastic. <laughs> well, I don't want to hurt arms. their ears. Yeah. We, um... Jordo, we need you to dub in some applause. <laughs> <laughs> you keep saying stuff. You know he's not going to do it. <laughs> exactly. That's... <laughs> The comedy. All it's right. a running gag. Internal, uh, internal motivation. We're talking about character motivation here, not your motivation for writing. That's a different podcast entirely. Um, we're talking about characters having their internal monologue, their internal whatever makes them tick, have the right motivation. Mary, you suggested this podcast. Can you explain it better? Well, there are two aspects of character motivation. One is what does the character want? Mm-hmm. And the other is, how is it expressed on the page? Okay. Um, what the character wants also breaks down further into two things. One is the, um, what is their big overall thing that they want in life? And the other is, what do they need to do to accomplish that goal? And sometimes those things come into conflict with each other. Right. Um, and I would add a third one on there, the what do you want immediately right now? Yes. For instance, you know, you could, your story can be about getting vengeance upon your father, but it, or upon your father, yeah, sure. <laughs> your story can be getting vengeance on your father. It can be anything. Um, but one story about um, motivation that I, I like to share, if anyone's seen um, the show Lost, mm-hmm. uh, we, we talked about this, um, I, I think I've talked about this before, but remember there's one character that drives everyone crazy. Um, in season one, and this is the man who's lost his son, and he becomes defined only by having lost his son. They make his motivation very clear. I want to get my son back, but it smacks a little bit um, false to us. He becomes so focused on that that we lose him as a character. And the reason for that, talking about motivations, is people may have grand motivations. You may want to overthrow an empire. You may, listener, want to write a book. Um, That may be one of your overpowering motivations, and yet, moment by moment, We are motivated by other things. And letting the reader understand what the character is being motivated by at this moment Mm -hmm. can really help make your characters feel alive and keep them from, number one, becoming caricatures. But number two, if you keep this clear, they'll also stop from being schizophrenic. And those are the two polar problems here. On one end, you have someone who's driven only by one concept, and they turn into melodrama, one emotion. But on the other end, they're swinging around so rapidly, and we can't keep track of it, that they feel schizophrenic. Yes. You know, I have a book next year coming out about a guy who's schizophrenic. Okay, you're exempted. (laughs) But yeah, it was hard to keep his motivations clear. Take me, for example. I want to get lots of recording done today, but I'm also starting to get hungry. Okay? Mm. And Mm -hmm. and that's a great example of, you know, conflicting motivations. My motivation right now is for my stomach to not growl on tape. Ah. Not that it's tape (laughs) anymore. Right. And, and our mixing console's motivation right now is to make clear to everyone that there is no tape. I am completely <laughs> digital. Respect me. But one of the, um, the, uh, the things that you can do with motivation is have the, the immediate need play directly against yeah. the overarching. Um, for instance, uh, using Star Wars, 
Luke Skywalker, the thing he wants most in life is to be a great Jedi like his father. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, there comes a moment where in order to be a great Jedi like his father, what he has to do is kill his dad. Right. And so the, what he needs to do comes into direct conflict with what he wants. Yeah, that's a great example. I mean, stories are built around conflict like that. And any time that, um, you know, having a true conflict, having characters' own motivations pitted against one another, that's, that's the stuff of great drama. Well, if we mm -hmm. look, at, look at Luke Skywalker again, almost our first introduction to him was, you know, whining that he wants to go get some power converters. You know, he wants to, he wants to go into town. He doesn't want to be stuck in the house. And... And then we discover that he does have an attachment to this house and these people and uh, his motivation. I don't want to say that his motivations necessarily change, but it certainly colors his character mm -hmm. as we recognize. He just, he's not, you know, oh, great. There's nothing holding me here now. Let's leave. It's, mm -hmm. oh, well, there's nothing holding me here now. We can go. Yeah. And that's also true that your character's motivations can shift in yeah. response to what is happening in their lives. And when they don't shift is when you start running into flat characters. Yeah, they should shift. What the character wants and their motives should shift um, across the course of the book. Now, granted, you're probably not going to usually change your big, massive, this is my motivation for being in this book. And yet, if that character's understanding of their goal doesn't change across the course of the book mm -hmm. and our understanding of it. I mean, uh, I mentioned Tarantino in the, um, earlier when we were talking about podcasts. Um, Tarantino, you know, Kill Bill, um, warning content, by the way, but if you watch um, <laughs> Kill Bill, if your understanding of that vengeance doesn't change alongside the character's understanding of that vengeance, then you're watching a different film than me because that story, you know, starts off simple revenge narrative. And that vengeance the character is wanting to get is the dominating force. It's the dominating force right to the end. But each aspect of this um, getting vengeance, each time she fights someone new, your heart wrenches a little bit. Your heart, you're, you're, you change mm -hmm. as you see the, even the character's motivations slowly change. Yeah, I uh, was re-watching uh, Scott Pilgrim last night because it turned on and I was powerless to not watch that movie because I love it so much. And it, 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 was, it struck me again... Like you were saying, how, you know, the, the overall motivation was the same. He has to fight for this girl. But as it goes on, it becomes increasingly obvious that this, the process of fighting is, is tearing him apart. And right. so his motivation, you know, at one point is just survive. You know, it's not so much I need to win. I just need to survive this next fight. And those motivations keep changing. But always, like you say, there's that one strong thing pulling you through. Well, and the, the dark moment in that movie is when we realize he's begun asking himself, is this really worth it? Mm-hmm. Was, you know, was this, is this really worth it? Because what I want right now is to not have to fight anymore. Yeah. Um, and those, Scott Pilgrim has a wonderful character arc. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Um, I'm going to f- throw us into our book of the week a little bit early this podcast, and then we'll come back talking about how to do this. Um, Howard, you're reading Connie Willis's Blackout. Why don't you tell us I about am. it? Uh, well, it is set, uh, alternatively, depending on uh, which perspective you take, it is set in uh, Oxford of 2060, or it is set in uh, England in various parts uh, in 1940, 1944. Um, it's a time travel story about historians going back to various locations and observing things. Um, what's fascinating about the book, and, and one of the things that I love about it, is that the, the time travel that she posits is one in which there is some fundamental law of the universe that prevents time travelers from being able to go anywhere and actually affect events. Even though they go and they do right. things, you know, they eat food, they are butterflies flapping their little wings, but the time travel machine will break down or will you know, fail to send them if they could have gone to a point where they could actually cause divergence. And this is, is fascinating because you have time travelers going back, interacting with people in World War II, and, and doing fun stuff. And why do I like it? Because all of these characters are motivated in ways that are completely foreign to me. They are all historians, and I keep listening to them thinking, you know what, I just don't want to be in 1944 anymore. My motivation <laughs> would be, catch the nearest, the nearest time bus back to the future and go be a fry chef, um, a, 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 you know, a, a space fry chef, whatever. Um, <laughs> but they, they, look at, they look at 1944 or 1940, wherever they are, and they say, um, well, I, you know, I want to get through this assignment because I need to go to Pearl Harbor next. Um, love the book, and I haven't gotten to the end of the sequel, which is all clear, um, and I'm hoping I love it all the way to the end. It's up for Hugo. Yes, Hugo nominated. Connie Willis is a fantastic writer. If you haven't tried one of her books, this would be a great place to start. Uh, go to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to try a 14-day free trial on the Audible subscription service and get a free book. All right, so let's talk about how to do this. Um, how to, as writers, express your character's internal motivations because this is a really essential skill. A lot of the character motivation is going to be expressed in um, ways that could get you into trouble as a writer, meaning uh, a lot of times when I read new writers writing, it's not what the character does that's the problem. It's me understanding why the character does it. Mm-hmm. So, Mary, how do you make sure this works? Well, there's, um, there's a couple of things. One is the, uh, what the character is doing in the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can throw in, the, the example I use sometimes is, um, like, if you just have the action, the man walked into the room, there was a blonde sitting in the chair, he jerked her out of the chair. You have no idea why he pulled her out of the chair. Right. All you have to do is throw in a thought. Yeah. The man walked into the room. There was a blonde sitting in the chair. Couldn't she see it was broken? He jerked her out of the chair. Right. It's totally different than the man walked into the room. There was a blonde sitting in the chair. He hadn't seen her since California. My God, she looked good. Right. He jerked her out of the chair. The man walks into the room. There's a blonde sitting in his chair. He jerked her out of the chair. We Does have it? three completely story, mm-hmm. yeah. three completely different right. motivations. I uh, had experience with this recently. Uh, my uh, new series coming out next year is called Partials. Sent the uh, 
thing to the sent, sent in the first manuscript, the first draft to the editors, and they sent it back and said the story is great, all the plot pieces, all the character pieces are working, but uh, we're not getting enough motivation out of the characters. We're not getting, you know, everything that happens makes sense. We just need to know why. And so basically, what I'm doing now is going through and adding. Uh, her viewpoint in as much as possible, making sure that everything that happens is seen through her eyes, mm -hmm. filtered through the lens of that character. And uh, even though I knew already that that was a good thing to do, I hadn't done it enough, and it's been amazing to me to just watch that character come alive just by adding in these couple of little thoughts like Mary's talking about, so that when something happens, we're seeing it as she sees it rather than just as a reader. I've, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Mary. Well, I was going to say that one thing that it's, I think it's important to do is you know, do that sparingly, but also to make sure that you have established it well before you get to whatever climactic scene right. is coming mm -hmm. so that you don't need to do it in the climactic scene because yes. the audience should know the character well enough by that point. Well, well, if, there's one thing, yeah, if there's one thing I hate, it's when I get to a climactic scene and now I am told somebody's motive for being mm -hmm. in this scene. That's, that is as close to deus ex machina regardless of what the outcome is. Well, it's, it's partly that and also partly um, it, it can totally throw pacing off if you suddenly pause mm -hmm. to... If you have to explain that. Yes. And that's why, you know, just, just like in a mystery, when you get to that climax, the reader wants to be able to put the pieces together. They want to have all the clues so that they can solve it. A uh, character is the same way. When, yeah. when a character is, makes a significant action or a decision... Uh, the reader wants to have all the pieces already so that they can know exactly why the character did that. You know, I'm constantly um, a little bit befuddled by this. Uh, I teach creative writing to, to new students. I, I teach at BYU. Um, and how many of them won't use the thought tool? Mm -hmm. Now, there are certain books that it's not appropriate. You don't want to use it. That's fine. But so many of them, um, I'll say, you know, put, your, put in some thoughts. Really, put in some thoughts. And a lot of them, you know, I would say it's three quarters of them never do it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not sure why. Um, because suspect... they're students and they don't want to put any thought into it at <laughs> no. all. I, I think that it's because um, we have grown up with so much cinema, so much movies. Mm, and that's a very cinematic yeah. technique. They're, they're trying to tell third-person cinematic instead of third-person limited. That's well, a really good point, Dan. And, you, and might, so you might be, be right on that. Breaking out of that and... and you know, getting down inside of their heads in a way that a purely visual medium can't do as effectively. The other aspect of that, I think, is also that, and this is where I thought you were going to go initially, that we're told so often, uh, show, don't tell. Right. Mm -hmm. And in order to tell someone's thoughts, you, you actually have to, you have to tell them or you have to do, um, you have to do reported thought, which is, right. you know, he, he hadn't seen her since California. Right. Which is a tell. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a pretty big tell. But at mm -hmm. the same time, that's but something... But the alternative to that is ten full chapters of backstory right. illustrating right. that he has not seen her since California exactly. ten chapters ago. And it's, in many cases, much simpler and better to just put in that one sentence to well, substitute for those ten chapters. if you can do it in a way that's not a tell, saying, I haven't seen her since California, okay, that's a step forward, um, but saying... What Mary said earlier, she looks so good. It's, uh, how long has it been? If, mm -hmm. he, if he thinks that, that feels more like a real thought. Yes. Rather than, I haven't seen her since then. It's, how long has it been? Or something like this that is, that is taking it one step more natural actually makes it more of a show rather than tell. 
Um, I, I always thought, I think, Dan, you're probably right. It might be a cinematic thing. I kind of just assumed it was because it's so easy that they think, well, I, I can't do something <laughs> that easy. Yeah. Um, and it is possible to take the thought thing way too far. Oh, <laughs> don't, yes. don't have a thought every paragraph or something like this. But adding it in every once in a while is a nice way to do this. But some people don't want to do it. You, oh, this and is in, a, support, yeah. in support of the cinematic, yeah. cinematic stuff, um, in, the, uh, in, in the last of the, I think it was the last uh, David Tennant episode of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. um, David Tennant's big, oh no, I'm going to die scene, uh, they put in, the, the writers put in too much thought. There uh-huh. was a bunch of David Tennant dialogue where it is now time for him to push the button that is effectively going to end his life, and he monologues about how he doesn't want to do it. And David Tennant is a good enough actor, and the people holding those cameras are good enough cinematographers that if they had given him 10 seconds and the, uh, the script screenwriter had said, here, here's, here's your motivation, make that face. <laughs> he could have pulled it off, and it would have been so much better. And when we're telling people to write thoughts, yeah. we need to remember that sometimes the character can just make that face right. and sell all of that to us. What are other tools? No thoughts. What are other tools to get across internal motivation, um, particularly in one of these hard scenes where you know, you've got your overarching de- desire for your character, but in this scene, they're going to be acting counter to that or acting towards something else? One of the things is the descriptive words that you use. Okay. Um, for instance, if he needs to sit down in a chair um, and the chair is, is repulsive to him, instead of saying the chair was repulsive to him, you can use descriptive words that make it clear that it's a repulsive chair. Like, um, and, uh, and I'm staring at a folding chair and coming up with... Yeah. <laughs> repulsive things. <laughs> right. I mean, while you do that, I can just say, this is one of the powerful tools of Third Person Limited mm-hmm. um, that we talked about, that Dan mentioned. Putting it strongly in viewpoint from the beginning so that we know when the narrative uses these descriptive words for the chair, it's actually the character's coloration um, of their thoughts that is coloring everything, the filter, those words are coming from their soul, not from the writer telling it to you. Yeah. Yeah, I well, don't know how this differs, sorry Dan, I, I don't know how this differs from, from saying their thoughts, but uh, the five senses, yeah. touch, yes. smell, audio, mm-hmm. uh, I mean we deal a lot with, we deal a lot with sight, um, but as you deal with, as, as you go through all of those, um, that colors the character. You know, Absolutely. if I'm hungry, if I'm hungry, a scent, um, the, the scent of food is going to send me off and is going to drive home to the reader yeah. that there's hunger. Yeah. Right. Exactly. What they're noticing, like if you have a character that spends the entire time in a scene looking at, if, if it's a you know, guy detective and he spends the entire time looking at the woman's legs, and you've just got paragraph after paragraph, please don't do this, but paragraph after paragraph of description of her <laughs> legs, you know what he wants without anyone ever having to throw a thought bubble down. Yeah, mm-hmm. some really great writers are able to have a character's motivations contrast to what they think their motivations are, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, they're <laughs> internally ironic by what they're doing, that contrast. Um, another way to do it is um, that hanging a lantern on it. It's the cheap trick, but sometimes it's the trick that works. You hang a lantern on something, um, you have a, one character say to the other, I thought you loved bacon. Or, you know, if it's <laughs> his, his, his character arc is so distinct 
that when he acts out out of line of it, some other character calls him on it. Oftentimes, a really great writer can then have the character make one line of dialogue that explains a new depth and dimension mm -hmm. to their character. And sells the whole you thing. You know, that sells the whole thing. Um, yeah. Now, one thing that we've mentioned in passing, and I just want to make sure we, we give it its due, is that a lot of this, a ton of this, is the setup for it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like you said uh, earlier with, with giving those descriptions and putting that character filter on from the beginning yeah. so that you can establish that. If your character is a doctor and they walk around and they notice medical stuff constantly and who's injured and who isn't, then when it becomes important, it will already be in the reader's mm -hmm. head. I All think right. it may have been a season four episode where uh, uh, Mary was first on our cast and talked about puppetry. And the things that you said about the motion and the breath and all of that of the puppet, um, I, I see that as informing motivation yeah. hugely. Yeah. So listener, go back and listen to that one. We'll post a link in the liner notes. One of the best episodes we've ever done. One and it of, really wasn't us. Says, Mary's, as, as Mary's as job audition for, yes. for this. I will all just right. sit here and quietly blush. Mary, I'm going to make you give us a writing prompt. So, writing prompt, uh, come up with a character motivation and then come up with a action that they need to take that is counter to the motivation. Excellent. All right. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.